happen to bring a Bible with you, you could go ahead and open it up to Matthew's Gospel. And if you didn't, we'll have it on the screen as well. We're going to look a little bit earlier. We heard a lot from Luke's Gospel, uh, carrying a pulpit and talking at the same time, and being schlepty is dangerous. Just pulled it off. Um, All right. Uh, So we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel a little bit tonight, the first 17 verses. So if you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. Uh, and just take a few minutes to look at that together, and then we're going to sing Silent Night together uh, by candlelight. So that's the only plan we have left for tonight. Thanks for singing together. Uh, I usually sit in the front, but was in the back this time, and I love sitting in the front because then I can hear everybody's voices behind me a lot better. Uh, It's good to just hear the church singing together. So thank you to the worship team and all those that worked hard to be here on a Christmas Eve night uh, to serve us in that way. Just a reminder as well, uh, maybe before I start, um, is that tomorrow morning, uh, our worship service on every Sunday morning is at 10.15. I would invite you to come each and every Sunday, and tomorrow is no exception on Christmas Day. Good place to be as well would be with God's people worshiping Him. And so tomorrow morning, 10.15, is our worship service. There's not Sunday school at 9 o'clock like normal, but love to see you back here or on any Sunday uh, at 10.15 in the morning. So, uh, here's the the truth. We all come from somewhere, right? You think about uh, maybe your own family tree, me, myself, uh, kind of a a unique thing. Uh, I'm 100% Swedish. That's the people I come from. All of them uh, immigrated from Sweden at one point, so I'm 100% Swedish. My last name is Nelson. I was born and raised in Minnesota, I was the oldest of four children, and you can look at my family tree, my family tree would have above me, uh, my parents, Philip Nelson II, uh, and Diane Nelson are my parents, and, and you could go back, we could start tracing my family tree back quite a ways, and if I just shared with you tonight all of those names, just started telling you, well, my parents' names were Philip and Diane Nelson, my mom's parents' names were Earl and Irene Pierce, like, I could keep doing all of that, uh, and you'd be like, okay, well, that's... That's interesting, maybe for a little bit, but eventually you'd kind of tune me out, wouldn't you? Just hearing a list of names to hear where somebody came from. You ever think, stop to think about where, like, where you come from, how you got here, how if you even went up just a couple of generations in your family tree, like, man, if these two people wouldn't have been at the same place at the same time, I wouldn't be here. Isn't that crazy to think about? Um, that... That, that even in our own family trees, we start looking at where we came from and all of the things that had to be put in place by God in order that we would end up coming into the world. No doubt your own family tree is filled uh, with stories, all sorts of stories. I have a story I'm going to start out by telling you tonight before we start reading about Jesus' family tree. The story uh, that I just heard again from my grandma, I knew just a small part of it, but I talked to my, I have one grandma that's still living, and I called her on the phone a couple of weeks ago, uh, and uh, called her up, this, this is a picture of her uh, back in the 1940s, uh, and I called grandma up and told her, grandma, tell me the story of how you and grandpa met again, uh, and so love to hear, it'd be, it'd be way better if my grandma was here to tell you the story, uh, but you have to hear it from me instead, but I love this story, it was the mid-1940s, and a beautiful, short, dark-haired woman named Muriel, who had grown up in central Minnesota, was now living in the big city in St. Paul, Minnesota, working as a nurse and at a big hospital there uh, and living with some friends. 
Well, she had a weekend off from work. And her cousin, Elsie, back in central Minnesota, proposed a plan to young Muriel. See, cousin Elsie was engaged to a young man named Don. And Elsie wanted Muriel to join her and Don and a friend of Don's for a date to a movie. It was to be a man that Muriel had never met, a double blind date. Okay, So, so uh, the, the fiancé couple, Elsie and Don, to be going with Muriel and a friend of Don's. Well, Don's friend, who was supposed to be Muriel's date, was a young farmer named Everett. When the time came for the date to begin, Everett had to tell his friend Don that he wasn't done with chores and would be unable to join him and be Muriel's date for the night. So at the last minute, Don had to find a new blind date for Muriel. He told his other farmer friend, Phil, that he would like him to join he and Elsie so that he could be the date for Elsie's cousin named Muriel, And Don told Phil that this woman was a tall, blonde school teacher. Well, Phil agreed to come along because that sounded good to him. And so when the three of them pulled up in the car to pick up Muriel, Phil didn't even get out of the car because he was waiting for a tall blonde to come out. And he didn't know who this short, dark-haired lady was. He found out as she got in the car that this was, in fact, Muriel, and the date was on. By the time that weekend was over, Muriel went back to St. Paul and told her friends that she had found the man that she was going to marry. Not long after that, my gra- so this is my grandma and grandpa. Uh, not long after that, my grandpa Phil and my grandma Muriel were married in a double wedding. And so there's a picture of them at their wedding. They're on the left there on your side. Left. Yep. That's grandpa over there. That's grandma next to her. Double wedding because it was my grandma's sister that also got married as well. And interestingly, you know who the guy that my grandma's sister married is? Everett, the guy who was too late because he had to do chores. That's funny. That's funny. So, it all worked out. Everett still got a wife, and it was still a good family, and I got to have Grandpa Phil. And, uh, and anyway, um, interesting story. And that's just one story from two generations up from mine and my family tree. And if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't be here. And tonight, we're going to look at Jesus' family tree. And we're going to hear a couple of stories because in the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we have this long list of names. And if if you were one of Matthew's original readers, a, a Jewish person most likely, you would have heard that list of names and you would have thought of all sorts of stories and it would have been super interesting to you. But, or maybe even if, if you're somebody who's been in the church for some time, I'm going to read through this list of names and you're going to say, oh, I remember that story. I remember that story. But maybe you're here tonight and you're not all that familiar with the Bible. And so I'm going to read through this. You're going to think, oh, that's just the list of names. So what I'm going to do after that, after I read this list of names, which is extremely important, I'm going to point out, I'm going to tell a couple of the stories that are in that list of names and point out some things that I think we can learn from Jesus' family tree. Okay? So, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 tonight. Uh, and like I said, if you've got a Bible with you, um, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew. It's the first gospel in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. And our tradition here, and I think it's a good one to hold on to, even on Christmas Eve, is that as God's Word is read, we stand together. So if you're able to, why don't you please stand together. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read God's Word. Heavenly Father, I thank You uh, 
that your spirit still uh, works through your word. And I pray that your spirit would be here in this place tonight, though maybe our minds are on many other things. I pray that for these next 15 to 20 minutes, you would help our minds to be focused on Jesus, that you would be doing a work in our hearts, that our hearts become more and more attracted to Jesus, that we start to desire him more and more as a result of hearing your word tonight. God, I pray for uh, your spirit to do a work in hearts that might have come in here kind of hardened tonight. Uh, they're here for a number of other reasons, but, but maybe worshiping Jesus is not one of them. I pray that you would even take that heart and put a new one in uh, this evening for their good, for our joy, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read from Matthew's Gospel. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon. And Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So... All the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. You can be seated. Carol's thankful I had her read Luke chapter 2 instead of that one, huh? couple of points to make tonight. Like I said, really three points that I want us to get out of. We spend almost all of our time on the first two and just a tiny bit of time on the last one. Point number one is this. I want us to know by the time that we leave here tonight that God has a plan and God keeps his promises. I think we can see that as we look at this genealogy from the beginning of Matthew's gospel that we have a God who has a plan and we have a God who will and always does keep his promises. The first verse of the genealogy refers to Jesus, says it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, refers to him as the son of David and the son of Abraham. Again, if you were one of Matthew's first readers, you would have heard those two names and known all sorts of things that are associated with those two men. It's very important that Jesus comes in the line of Abraham and in the line of David. See, God had told Abraham that he would have many descendants. 
and that through Abraham's family, through Abraham's descendants, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's God's plan, okay? That through one man's family, all the nations on the earth would be blessed. Now, you might remember, if you have read some in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, you might remember that this promise was given to Abraham when he was quite old and had no children, right? Um, And so... So from verses 2 to 6, we have this genealogy that starts with Abraham being the father of Isaac and ends with David. And in those 14 generations, there are all sorts of stories of sin and deceit and surprise and all sorts of other things. But all along, God was faithful in making sure that Abraham would have many descendants and through his descendants, all the nations on the earth would be blessed. God had a plan, and he was sure he was going to keep it, even when it seemed extremely unlikely that it could ever happen. Because when God initially talked to Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old, and he asked Abraham to move to a new land. Abraham trusts God enough to do it. He moves to a new land, and he hears this promise from God, but then Abraham gets into his 80s and still has no kids. So he and his wife decide they need to help God keep his promise. And at age 86, Abraham has his first son, but it's not born to he and his wife. It's born to his wife's servant, kind of a mess. But 13 years later, Abraham is 99. Sarah, his wife, is 90, still no kids. Together, God still promises that Abraham will be the father of many nations, and all nations uh, through him will be blessed. And not long after this, God is faithful to keep his promise, and little baby Isaac is born. And then the genealogy continues on from there. Isaac, the father of Jacob, and it just keeps going. And we could look at a lot of the stories there in that section. We're actually going to come back and refer to a couple of them here in a moment. But it says at the beginning, remember that first verse, Jesus is the son of Abraham. And then, so so you think like, how is it ever going to happen that God's going to fulfill his promise and make his plan happen with Abraham and all of his descendants and all the mess that comes with that? But eventually we do get to David. And God made a promise to David as well. God's promise to David, you could look at it in 2 Samuel seven sixteen, was that a king would reign forever from David's family line. So a king would be born who in, in David's family line would reign forever. And if you read the rest of what comes after David's story there, even the beginning of it, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Interesting, right? Uh, And then it goes on, and you look at all of these generations that take us all the way up to the deportation to Babylon, another 14 generations. Again, filled with stories where you're kind of thinking, there's no way God's going to be able to pull this one off. With those guys, all, all sorts of mess again and again, sin and sin and sin. You wonder, like, I don't even know if they're going to survive, let alone lead the kind of nation that will allow a king to be on the throne forever. What a mess. But what we can see as we go through this genealogy, one thing I want us to see clearly is this, that God has a plan and God keeps his promises. It was God's plan to send his son to rescue his people. It was a promise that God made, and it was through him that all nations on the earth would be blessed, and he would be the king who would reign forever, and God was going to do whatever it took to make sure that that took place. God is a God who has a plan, and God is a God who keeps his promises. 
Second thing I want us to note tonight, uh, uh, yep, we already saw that. Okay, point two, God works in and through all sorts of people. I want us to notice this tonight. You notice that when you read through this genealogy and you notice some things that would have stood out to the people that were first reading Matthew's gospel. You might have noticed, if you were uh, an original reader of Matthew's gospel, that some of the names that Matthew shared there in Jesus' genealogy, they weren't all Jewish names. They weren't all Jewish people. I wonder, well, that's interesting that God would introduce into this family line some people that didn't even really fit in that family line. It might have been shocking, maybe even offensive to the Jews in Matthew's day who were reading this. But one thing the readers of Matthew surely would have noted, because they had read genealogies before, they would have noticed that in this genealogy, something was strikingly different. In this genealogy, the names of, well, the names of four, but five women are referred to in Matthew's genealogy. That would have been extremely shocking to anybody who was used to reading genealogies in that day, who only would have been traced through the male. So in, a, in kingdoms at that time in which women were not valued all that much, in Matthew, we're shown that women uh, have incredible value in that they're included in the genealogy of Jesus. But if you look through the list of names that are included in there, and you look at the names of the women, there's some with a pretty scandalous history. Interesting story, stories to be sure, but not ones that I'm going to tell on Christmas Eve. Okay? And so if you wanted to look them up yourself, you certainly could. It mentions a woman by the name of Tamar. You could go back and read Genesis 38 to find out that she was a woman who pretended to be a prostitute so that she could have a child with her father-in-law. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, who was a prostitute. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, who was this foreign immigrant to Bethlehem, right? We, our, our church has been going through this story of Ruth over the last four weeks in the time leading up to Christmas. Incredible story of God's provision uh, through this Moabite woman, not a Jewish person, but a Gentile, a Moabite woman. Incredible story to read. You can read the book of Ruth. I'd encourage you to do that. It's just four quick chapters. And then we also hear of the wife of Uriah, uh, David, and her name is Bathsheba. We can read that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and that was quite a mess as well. But what you quickly find out as you go through Jesus' family line is Jesus comes from a pretty dysfunctional family line. It's pretty obvious as you go through it. Some of you might think, though, that you're disqualified. Here, here's what I want to make some application tonight. You might think of yourself, and you're thinking of, man, your own family history, and it's not quite as smooth as you know, it was these two and these two and these two. It's like this one and then this one, but then there was this one, and now there's this one instead. You're looking at your family history, and you're thinking, I just don't fit in with all these kind of like holy church people. I'm just like, my family's just messed up. Not even just my family. If I'm quite honest with you, I'm pretty messed up right now. The kind of life that I'm living, the kind of life that I have lived, and the kind of life I'm living, it's a mess. And so I don't fit into this family. I, I can't believe that Jesus would adopt me into his family, that I would be adopted by the Father to become brother or sister with Jesus. I, I just don't see that happening to me. But here's some really good news tonight. Jesus came from all kinds of messed up people to save all kinds of messed up people like us. 
good news. When you look at Jesus' earthly family line, there's a lot of messed up people there. A lot of people racked in sin. Jesus came from all of that so that He could save all kinds of messed up people like us. So you might be here tonight. You might not be a church person. Those stories that I just told you about, like, I don't even know those stories. Am I supposed to know those stories? I don't know those stories. Maybe you know a little bit about the story of how it was that Jesus came to be born. You may have just come tonight, though, because it's Christmas and you felt like you needed to be in a church on Christmas, and so you're here. But I think it's not an accident, just like it wasn't an accident that Everett still had some chores to do that night. Just like it wasn't an accident that Ruth happened to go and glean some grain in the field of a man named Boaz. Just like it wasn't an accident that Joseph and Mary had to leave their hometown to go to Bethlehem because of a census. I don't think any of that's an accident. I don't think it's an accident that you're here tonight. You might have be here tonight coming off of a year where if there was like a nice list and a naughty list, you probably would like maybe be on the naughty list, uh, and, and your naughty list might be not longer than your nice list. That might be the kind of year that you've come out of. But the good news is that Jesus didn't come to reward nice people. Jesus came to save bad people. Right? That's what He came for. And that's good news. Jesus came to live the life that we failed to live and to die the death that we deserve to die. That's what Jesus came for. You don't have to come from a good family or get your life in line before you can be forgiven and adopted into His family. All you need to do is offer your broken, messed up life to Him. To come before Him and say, you know what? I'm not fooling you, God. I'm not pulling one over on you. You know of my sin. You know of my unkind words. You know of my impure thoughts. You know of my sinful behaviors inside and out, even stuff that I've successfully hidden from other people. You know that, God. And if you believe that that that's you, and you believe that your greatest need is a Savior, then I would introduce you tonight to your Savior, Jesus. He's the only one who can save. He came to seek and save those who are lost. He came to give His life as a ransom for many. So my hope is that as you hear this message tonight, whatever kind of family line you've come from, that you would know that Jesus came to save sinners like you. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that tonight. You can can just tell God that in prayer. Just say, here's what I am. You know it. You know of my sin. But I thank you that you sent Jesus not just to be born and to live a good life and be a good example, but you sent him to live a perfect life so that when he died on the cross, all who trust in him receive his righteousness and he takes our sin on himself. He takes my penalty. You can tell him that as you pray and then you need to talk to some other Christians about that. Tell them that you've put your faith in Jesus and we'll help you figure out how you can keep your eyes fixed on him. Lots of good news even as you read Jesus' family tree. And then the final point is a pretty short one. That is that Jesus is the Christ. That's a title or a name that had a lot of meaning for the Jewish people who would have been reading Matthew's Gospel. It's abundantly clear as you go through the rest of Scripture that Jesus is fully God. That's very clear in all of Scripture. Jesus is God. Fully God. 
He is the eternal Son of God, Emmanuel, the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things are made. It's also true that he's fully human, complete with that family tree that we just looked at tonight. He is the Christ. That means the anointed one or the Messiah. He is the one that God's people expected to come to represent them and bring in God's eternal reign on earth. So as you go out and do whatever it is that you do, alone or with others on Christmas Eve, my hope is that you would go out knowing and believing and proclaiming these truths. One, that God has a plan and God keeps His promises. Two, that God works in and through all sorts of people. And Jesus came from a family line of all sorts of messed up people to save all sorts of messed up people like us. And that Jesus is the Christ, fully God and fully man, born a child and yet a king. And he came in such a humble way on a silent night in a little town of Bethlehem. And so we're going to sing what we often, I think, always sing uh, when we're done uh, with our Christmas Eve service. It's a great way to kind of go out into this world, uh, remembering just the humility uh, of, of what took place on that night of God himself taking on human flesh and being born as a baby. Uh, And so uh, our tradition also as we do this is that we would do it by candlelight. So when you came in, uh, I'm thinking that most of you probably did receive a candle. And so what we do so that we can see each other, too often often when we sing as a church, um, we're looking at the back of somebody's head and at a screen. Uh, The screen is helpful because the words are on there, so we kind of need that. But I think it's helpful to look around uh, at God's people just singing this song. Um, Recognizing as we sing it, these are people that God sent Jesus to save. As we're looking across the room, holding a candle, we see somebody's face maybe dimly, that maybe even as we're singing, maybe we take a break and we just pray for people that are around us. That, that, that if God is stirring in their hearts tonight, that this would be the night that they would repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. And so, worship team, if you want to come up and get ready, and everybody else, this is a little complicated, uh, and that's okay. Uh, Christmas is full of chaos. We're going to do kind of a horseshoe. We might do a full circle if we have to, but let's not fill in this spot right away because then you can't see the screen. Um, So let's try and do kind of a horseshoe kind of thing. Go ahead and stand uh, next to some people, and at some point somebody's going to come around and light a candle, and then you can light the persons next to you as well.